literally an institution in this town of digging up old photos, old stories, collections, everything you can imagine under the sun about this great city. Greasy spoons, dives, old clubs. If you love this city, you're going to love it even more. Real people, real stories, real places. This is the Austin Found Podcast. Hello and welcome back to Austin Found. We appreciate you tuning into the show. I'm J.B. Hager. And I'm Michael Barnes. Who doesn't love the Zilker Christmas tree? It's one of the city's bright, shining lights. And it's funny because a lot of people don't know the history of it. A lot of people are new Austinites. And this will be fun to talk about because now it's over 50 years old. That's right. It started out in 1967. And they attach these, for those of you who haven't seen it yet, you'll get to see it soon because it's always lit in late November and stays lit all the way through till Christmas. We're getting into late October right now as we record this, yeah. Yeah. And so it has a swirl of Christmas lights coming down from this moonlight tower, and it's tall. It's 165 feet tall. That's a big Christmas tree. For those of you who don't know, it is not a real tree. As you mentioned, the moon tower. So maybe we touch on that for a second, because if you're, uh, again, a new Austinite, you may not know the history of moon towers. Or if you've ever watched Dazed and Confused, you you knew what a moon tower was (laughs) because they'd say party at the moon tower, which is essentially what the tree is. It's lights cascading down from one of these moon towers. Yeah, and the moon towers were built in the 1890s. We bought them from another city, and they were meant to cast a moonlight glow over certain dark areas of town. Uh, About 17 of them survive. Actually, the one in the park now is a replica. Yeah, it's been through a few incarnations. Absolutely. Because originally they were wooden, right? No, 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 they were metal. They were always metal. Oh. No, but uh, this one was placed in the park uh, in 1950 from components of a tower that was up at West 29th and North Lamar. And but and I'm not going to get into the whole history of... We could do a whole show on the moon towers, I'm pretty oh, yeah, sure, oh, yeah. right? And we've done some, yeah. some in the past. But in this particular case, it is part real and part replica. This one is the 1995 tree. (laughs) Okay, okay. So we're going to kind of jump around here a little bit. Let's go back to the first lighting of the tree. This would have been 1967. And a name that should sound familiar to you, our mayor pro tem at the time, Emma Long, was there to flick the switch, which became a different tradition, which we'll get into in a second. Right. No, um, Emma Long was one of our great politicians, very progressive, first uh, elected to office in the 1940s and was still in office uh, here in the ni- late 1960s. And that made some sense. But then the next year, it was a little girl, Carol Wittig, or Wittig. And she was eight years old, dressed in a Santa suit. She won it by this art contest, a, di- a school district-wide art contest. So that became the tradition, except in 1973. Because we were having an energy crisis. I don't know if you remember that. I do. This is when, and I I vividly remember it with my parents, the long gas lines and all that, the energy crisis and all that. The Arab world cut off oil to us because of uh, a war in the Middle East Mm -hmm. at the time. 
And so anyway, John Madani, a third grader from Barrington Elementary, had won that year, but he didn't get to flip the switch. Mm. Yet, many years later in 2013, a history-minded mayor, uh, Lee Leffingwell, made up for it by asking him as a middle-aged man to flip the switch. <laughs> I, I don't know how I missed this story in 2013, <laughs> but it's so great. Like, Lee Leffingwell and his people managed to track down this kid who should have been flipping the switch as an elementary school right, student, right. missed the opportunity because of the energy crisis, got to come back and do it in his, what, probably 50s. Absolutely. <laughs> That's so great. Now, when the, the tree was first built around a moonlight tower, as we've said, there were a lot of claims. It was the tallest Christmas tree in the world, and at 165 feet, it was taller than the National Christmas Tree in Washington, D.C., and it drew 2,000 watts, and it was became the brightest spot in the city. What had been the brightest spot before that was old Dish Baseball Field on the UT campus, which is where the Performing Arts Center is now. Oh, wait, that, wait, wait, hold on. That's the first I've heard that. Yeah. The PAC down the hill from the LBJ right. Library was the baseball field at one point? That was the Which would have been field. just north of the football field. Right. Uh, I didn't know that. Yes, it was very convenient. <laughs> hmm. And then when they built Dish Falk Field over on the, is it Dish Falk? Or Dish, Dish Falk, yeah. Dish Falk Field over on the other side of the freeway, which they, which they infused some money into in the last, what, a decade ago? Yeah. Yeah. They, they, I mean, they've done a lot of building yeah. on that side of campus. But then that paved the way for the Performing Arts Center to come in around 1980, 81. Okay. So we're going around, typical Texans, bragging about having the tallest Christmas tree <laughs> in the world. Turns out that's not exactly true. <laughs> in 1976... A visitor, uh, a Mrs. Catherine Duke of Shelby, Indiana, said, hey, wait a minute. The, the similar type of holiday tree was 120 feet higher and strung with 15,000 lights on 52 steel strands in Indianapolis. <laughs> it was attached to what was the Soldiers and Sailors Monument. It's assembly every year required 300 workers and 4,000 volunteers. So we were not the biggest. So We, we were not the biggest. <laughs> and, and the head of the parks department said, yeah, but we're the best still. <laughs> we're the most unique. Anyway. So, yeah, so 2,000 watts you can pretty much see from Everywhere in town. At the hit. time. Yeah. At the time, you definitely could see it from everywhere. Uh, and you might have trees obstructing your view or there might be a building in front of you, but but every neighborhood could see the silver tree at one point. Now, a couple other uh, Austin Christmas traditions that tie into this one. And I, I remember this, I'm pretty sure. Um, there's two things I remember. We'll get to one in a second. But they used to light up Congress. There used to always be the every all the trees were lit with white lights, and they had the sort of green and red tinsel things across Congress, mm -hmm. and even 6th Street, too, yeah. I think. And the bridges over the, the lake or what was in the river. Going back to the 1920s, 6th Street and the bridges were, and Congress Avenue. Which, that would be up. beautiful today to see the bridges lit up. Here's what happened is they held on to the old ones for the decorations for too long. And they got criticized for being tacky and out of date. 
And so then the answer from the city is, well, we'll do this minimalist thing where we'll string one light every block. I mean, oh, one stream right, every block. Right, so, right. so what they eventually ended up doing is not impressive at all. And that also kind of fell on the, the what you already mentioned, the energy crisis. Typical Austin, there's some public outcry on, right, on, right. on burning electricity. Yeah, no, and and, and, and rightly so. Uh, people would look at that and go, well, wait a minute. We're being asked to turn off our lights. We're being asked to wait in long gas lines. Why are we lighting up the streets, you know, with these festive decorations? And this was pre-BATS. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Which that would have come into play, too, at yeah. some point. Like, yeah. oh, if we light this up, this will mess up the bat. I could see that playing out. Right. No, but this <laughs> was pre-BATS. The BATS came in when the... Congress Avenue Bridge was reconstructed, and they put in these slats for structural support underneath the main body of the bridge, and that's where the bats uh, uh, climb up into. It was the perfect habitat for it them. It was perfect. Yeah. It's a bat nursery. <laughs> Millions of bats have been born there. And that's come up on the show. There's been controversy of the bats before. Yeah. <laughs> I won't go down that road right now. <laughs> I would like to see the bridges lit up again. I think that would be... Uh, that would be beautiful, but and there's well, more efficient ways to do it. I, now. That I was just about to say. We're, we're talking solar now. We and and we have uh, LED lights that are not don't use as much energy, mm -hmm. and of course they make some people kind of it, it hurts their eyes. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I, I think we could bring that back. And of course we have the trail of light still, mm -hmm. which is older than the tree and Santa's village. It's in the Trail of Light. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if you remember Santa's Village. Well, here's what I, one thing I remember. I said there were a couple things that I was going to bring up that have changed. And some people think I'm crazy when I bring it up. When I was younger, we used to drive through the Trail of Light. Exactly. And a lot of people don't remember that. Yeah, no, it, it was a drive-through experience. <laughs> and then Santa's Village was over at the tree. It wasn't deep inside the Trail of Light. Okay. And the reason I know that, because one of my first assignments at this newspaper was to go interview the little kids who were at Santa's Village. And it was a complete, I may have even said this on the show before, it was a complete disaster. None of the kids <laughs> wanted to talk to me. And one the, of your first assignments? Right. It was one of the first inside, assignments outside the arts, you know. Oh, okay. Just uh, Ed Kroll, who's the entertainment editor, and he said, why don't you go down and, and interview the kids down at Santa's Village? He doesn't sound anything like that. but <laughs> That's how you mind, heard it. That's how I heard it. I'm like, really? Okay, I need the money. And so I went down, and oh, my goodness, they all gave me one-syllable answers. And... <laughs> And, and, and the story ended up being very short, but we had a big picture, and that was all that counted. The tree and, and trail of lights has not been without controversy over the time. As we mentioned, the energy crisis was one of them. And I don't remember all this playing out with the Ferris wheel. Oh, uh, yeah. So shed some light on that. Like, people were not happy with – and it was more about placement than the fact right, that there right. was a Ferris wheel there. What's when they the put in a that? Ferris wheel – and that was not that long ago. And it, they didn't have a good place for it in the Trail of Lights. So they put it over by the Christmas tree. So purists were like, that messes up the view. That you're, It's competing with the, the tree now. You should see the view from any angle. Yeah. Maybe, right? And a lot of the people that were 
complaining were, let's just say this, were like out in Westlake Hills and stuff like that, who okay. always had a fantastic view of oh, the tree. Right. And now there was a Ferris wheel in front of ah. it. So <laughs> they, uh, they complain. And, and then uh, fortuitously, uh, a storm blew down a tree that's on the trail of lights. And so they were able to put the Ferris wheel where the tree was. And so it's no longer competing with. So it's on the, just to give people, it's on the uh, the Zilker side by the river, and right. then the trees on the other side by opposite Barton, Barton Springs. By Barton Springs. But right. when they were next to each other, people had a problem with that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> people are, I, the city has a lot of purists yeah. and a lot of nostalgists. They are like, no, don't mess up my Zilker tree. Well, and, we won't go too long on this, but over time, that every all of this has struggled. I remember not that long ago, financially, is this possible? Can the city do it? You know, and you have people that complain and people that love it. It's not been without its struggles to oh continue, gosh. right? Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, it, it's expensive to do. Uh, now the tree itself, the the electric company takes care of that. Austin Energy, I guess. Austin Energy, yeah. And as they sponsor, they come in and kick. To sort of take out that sting of it costing money, right? right? Like we're donating that. But the Trail of Lights really needs a lot of money. So they created a foundation. This has been, in the last 25 or so years, the the solution to everything. They're talking about it, uh, about the trail, the Butler Hike and Bike Trail, of the Trail Foundation taking it over from the city because mm -hmm. the city never has enough money to, to for the upkeep. So a private foundation can raise money from wealthy individuals and, it, and that's been trending as of late. Here oh, we are in, in fall of 2021 where more private enterprise has been taking over, or say non-profit non enterprise has been taking over the maintenance of, of our trail. Is that true? Oh, absolutely. You know, and part of the reason is we have never devoted enough money to park maintenance in the city. We're good at acquiring land. We're not good at fixing up the parks and, and then keeping them available for the people. So we have all kinds of conservancies and foundations and trusts who step in where the city just can't. It's just exhausted. A few years ago, Google Fiber became the sponsor for the Trail of Lights. I don't know if they're still sponsoring They had it. just moved into town. Right. They were making, they were a, making a big splash. Yeah. yeah. So, so back in 2016, I remember they were the sponsor, the main sponsor. Okay. And also... The, the other controversy, one of them, was that it comes right after ACL, and it takes a long time to set up. So essentially from ACL to practically New Year's Eve, you can't use the Great Lawn. Right. Yeah. A month prior to ACL, they mm -hmm. start setting up. Well, that's true, too. And, right. And, and so hmm. the people who love the Great Lawn, the soccer players, the dog enthusiasts, are always upset about those two events taking away their great lawn. And so there's always been talk, we'll move one of them out to Circuit of the Americas mm. or move one to Roy Guerrero Park in, in East Austin, which is just as big as Zilker. Okay. I'm glad that's interesting you brought that up. I, it's come up on a previous show or maybe just a personal discussion because I've, I've discovered the depths of Roy Guerrero Park. Oh, yeah. Only in the last year on my mountain bike. Mm-hmm. And I feel you, you like kind of need a mountain bike to get get into the depths of it. It's an amazing piece of property mm -hmm. that is way underutilized, in my opinion, for several reasons. One is 
the neighborhoods around it want it to be more like a neighborhood park rather than a destination mm -hmm. park, and I totally understand that. And then there's some problem with getting the middle part of the park. You know, the western part of the park is sports fields. Mm -hmm. Eastern part of the park is more like for kids and the playgrounds mm -hmm. and stuff like that and some good birding areas if you're into that. But the middle park and the forest and there's a, a ravine there, they can't get their act together getting a bridge over it. Hmm. And so if you're on a mountain bike, you can get through there. But if you're mm -hmm. on foot, it's hard to find a path from the eastern side to the western side or back. Ah, interesting. That's one of the reasons why it's not as widely used. And they don't have big events there. And a lot of it is because the neighborhoods around it, like, we don't want them. It's hard not to infuse opinion on this. I yeah. feel like that could be a nice injection into well, and the other thing East is, Austin a little bit. Each time we try to attract a big sports team like Express, Round Rock Express mm -hmm. was supposed to be there at mm, one point. That's the that's the plot of land that comes up. Comes up. It came up with the soccer team. Mm, mm -hmm. it, they wanted that land. They coveted that land. But parks people are pretty stubborn, and they're not going <laughs> to let an acre of park land mm. uh, go to uh, a some kind of for profit use. Let me throw uh, an email at you. Um, you can always write to us if you like. And I'll give you that email address after this before we wrap up. But someone wrote, gentlemen, thank you for doing Austin Found. It's very enjoyable. About 45 years ago, I was 17 years old traveling through greater Austin. And I stopped for supper at a tavern on or near a lake west of town. This place sold the largest thick cuts of beef jerky I had ever seen. I think it was called Ben and Bob's. Any knowledge of this? Best wishes from Jay. Jay, I don't think I found out the answer of that one. A tavern west of town. Well, there were a lot of them out in the hills because they could serve alcohol under the table. I mean, they were, there were... Uh, like out by county line kind yeah, of stuff? Yeah, well, that's what county line was. Yeah. Both of the county lines were, if I believe, were drinking club uh, uh Skirting the law. Right. Like, or, well, not skirting the law, but membership uh, type. Membership only and... Uh, and I, I hope they had, like, cots to put people up because can you imagine coming back on 2222 or any of those? Oh, back the way those roads used to be? Yeah, at, you know, after an evening of drinking and poker. They're and treacherous enough today, but you yeah. should have seen what they used to look oh, like. Oh, yeah, they are very narrow yeah. and had these curves that were dead man's curve. Well, anyway, we do love your, your, your questions. Someone might write to us with an answer on we that. We always are hoping for that. We're, we're always crowdsourcing. Yeah. And and we'll get like 20 people, I'm sure, saying, no, it was Betty. Someone will know. <laughs> Someone will know. Yeah. And you can write to us about that at... mbarnes at statesman.com. Or jhager at statesman.com. And you can find that article about the Zilker Christmas tree in Volume 2 of Indelible Austin. Well, thank you for tuning in to Austin Fat. Happy trips.